Good morning. Good to see you guys. You guys didn't know that between Johnny's little intro and girl killing at the end, you guys just officially transitioned from Southern Baptist to Missionary Baptist. You're welcome. That was, Johnny was bringing it in too. I appreciate it. You can tell I'm his uncle from his mother's side now. He's like, my brother's up here. And you're like, not that guy. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm excited to be here, excited to be part of this marriage series. Uh, It's what I'm passionate about, I'm excited about. So if you're watching online, welcome. Missouri City, Xavier, shout out. Xavier's my guy. We worked on staff together for a number of years. Love him to death. And Richmond Rosenberg, actually, this is so funny. I got on the church website just to look at the campuses and, and the rich, I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but the Richmond Rosenberg picture shows like the church entrance right next to the DPS entrance. And I was like, what a word picture of, you know, choose heaven or hell, right? (laughs) You're going to enter one of them, right? You guys should, they should probably, let me help you out. You should probably put the Matthew 713 sign right out there, right? That says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, right? You should just put that between them. But anyway, if you're in Rosenberg, Richmond, welcome as well. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm going to talk about relationships because that's the series you're in. And I believe that there is no single relationship like marriage that will do more to frustrate you, challenge you, test your theology, fill in the blank. And I also believe that we do a a poor job of preparing people for actually what they're stepping into. So I'm, I'm hoping singles, If you're here, don't check out because I'm going to share some truths that I think will help you have a better expectation when you go into marriage. And if you're married, uh, my hope is that these truths I share will help free you from some of the burden uh, that you've been carrying and, and allow you to actually enjoy marriage the way we were supposed to enjoy marriage by actually expecting the things that we should be expecting in it. That sound all right? Well, it's three weeks into the new year, and how many of you have already abandoned your new year resolutions? But yeah, (laughs) why do we make them? I don't even make them anymore, because I realize unless I have the right habits and systems to ensure that the goals actually happen, they're never going to happen anyway. But one of my, one of my, I got a lot of pet peeves. Anybody else have pet peeves? Somebody down here was like, oh yeah. Um, So one of my pet peeves is always, you know, the start of the year at the gym. And so I usually will sit out the first two weeks of the gym because I'm not messing with, with all those. <laughs> you guys are like, look like you sat out more than two weeks at the gym. I'm, I'm in the process of getting back in the gym, okay? Don't judge me. So, but one of my frustrations and my pet peeves is, is that it gets full every time we come in the new year. And I've got a lot of pet peeves, like loud talkers. Anybody 
loud talkers, the people on the cell phone that act like they have no awareness that anybody else, I had that at Starbucks yesterday here in Sugarland. What about loud chewers? Anybody married to a loud chewer? This, these are setups. I'm gonna do setups during the, the message and you're not supposed to raise your hand. You're just supposed to let me do the dirty work while you sit by your spouse knowing that's them, but don't nudge them, don't smile. Just if they look at you, act like you don't agree with, just you guys gotta learn sometimes when the person on stage is doing the work for you, just take it, all right? So yeah, loud chewers are sometimes, or, or like I'm married to a person, I don't think I'm a loud chewer. I think she's like hypersensitive hearing radar sonar to the point I chew normal and she's like, like she can hear me chew soft things to the point where I'll like, when, if I'm eating, this <laughs> is so bad, if I'm eating chips, with her, I like let them get soggy in my mouth for 20, 30 seconds before I bite to minimize the crunch. So sometimes it's not that you're a loud chewer, it's that your spouse has extra sensitive. So here's another one of my pet peeves. Uh, another one of my pet peeves is when you meet somebody for the first time, for the third time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you've met them, you've had conversations with them. And then you're talking to a friend and they come up and, and the friend like goes to introduce you and I'm like, oh no, we talk. And they're like, hey, nice to meet you. You're like, am I that forgettable, right? Or are you that big time that we have had long conversations? So that's one of my pet peeves. Um, but I think my, my all time greatest pet peeve ever is people who leave out important information. And I give you, I give you some examples. Um, so, you know, sometimes when you, you go buy something, this always happens when you buy a car because the price they tell you is not the actual price, but like, or you'll buy something like some technology and a person tells you the price and not until you've committed to buy it do they let you know that you also need to buy three other components in order to make the first component actually work. Like that would have been good on, on the front end to know that information or somebody who like invites you to an event, but they don't tell you the dress code. And so you maybe show up overdressed or underdressed or as the only person in a costume. Anybody ever have like, dude, you invited me to a birthday party or a Halloween party. Why would I not think showing up looking like a pirate was a good idea? So the information that would have been helpful is I'm inviting you to a Halloween party, but we don't wear costumes. And it frustrates me when we're told part of the story and we set up expectations based on what we're told, not knowing that there's actually more to the story. And so in a moment of honest confession, I have to tell you that one of my greatest, I would say my greatest marriage failure, if my wife was here, she'd probably be like, no, there's a lot more. Um, but the one I remember, my greatest marriage failure uh, is where I failed to give my wife all the information that I should have given her. And for context, my wife is the opposite of me. She never wants to be on stage. She doesn't want to do a video. She doesn't want to talk in front of people. Like just let her be in the back, innocuous. Nobody can see her, right? And so sometimes when I have her do ministry stuff with me, it takes a little massaging and some work to get there. But anyway, long story short, I led the couples ministry at our church and we were having a couples fight night event. And it was about conflict and we themed it and we had a boxing ring on stage and it was amazing. And so what our pastor wanted us to do was 
have three couples share. Him and his wife were gonna share first, then another pastor and his wife, and then me and my wife, and we were gonna share areas of conflict in our marriage and how we try to manage them. And so I told her, I said, you don't, like, you don't have to have anything scripted. Uh, you can just talk if you want. I'll do most of the talking. You can jump in and say whatever you want. So really no pressure on you. It's only like 10, 15 minutes. She agreed. And so we get to the night. It's an amazing night. We do all kinds of games and stuff. And then we're the third couple up. And so the pastor and his wife, the first couple are getting ready to come up. And so what happens is like, lights start swirling around and music comes on kind of like if you you know an arena where you know the fighters are doing the walk-in thing and so it, it goes dark and then spotlights go to the back two back doors and they open and in walks the pastor on one side his wife on the other side and they've got the boxing you know the robe with the hood and they've got gloves on and they're shadow boxing and they're coming to eye of the tigers playing so it's like doo, 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 and they're coming down and my wife and i are like over here and, the, and she looks at me and she's like, we're not doing that, right? I was like, I mean, yeah, but it's not that, it'll be fine. You guys, when I tell you, if you could take somebody's life with a look, I, I was so dead, she was so angry. And so for the next day went, and then the same thing got repeated for the second couple. And so I didn't make eye contact with her again the whole time because I was just like, we got to figure this out. And so it came, it came our moment, right? And so we went to the back and I can't believe that she actually did it. She put on the stuff. And, uh, and so I picked for my walk-in song was LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out. And so, yeah, the first service, they had never heard of that song. I'm glad you guys did. And so, so I'm coming in and I'm all into it. Uppercuts, dude, and I'm, you know, high-fiving people. I didn't look to see what she was doing. Um, and then we got on stage. And when I tell you, she was so angry. But it became the greatest moment of the night. And everybody, afterwards, people were like, that was amazing. You and your wife were so real and authentic. And, it, and I was like, <laughs> she was actually really mad at me in that, in that moment. But watch what happened here. I did not give my wife all the details on the requirements and the expectations that it took to participate in that event with me so that she was not able to make an informed decision about whether she did or did not want to join me in that moment. I duped her, basically. And how many of us felt like that when we got into marriage? Because listen, now some of you don't wanna say it, but I felt duped because the dating process does not prepare you for marriage. The dating relationship and the marriage relationship are two completely different relationships. Dating has an agenda that marriage doesn't, trying to win the person over, and marriage has dynamics that dating doesn't. <laughs> Singles, if you're in here, dating will not prepare you for marriage. And the, the way the world's telling you date to date certainly does not. And sadly, the way the church tells most of us to date certainly does not prepare us for marriage. And so we end up walking in. I know when I went into marriage, I felt like, and we actually, I, I felt like had as good of a setup as I could. My wife's parents have been married 60 years. My parents have been married 57 years. My dad's a counselor. So you know, we had to talk about everything growing up. So I know how to talk. We did premarital class at the college we met at. We had, 
think like three really awkward counseling sessions with the pastor of the church we were married at because that was a requirement. He didn't marry us, but we had to meet with him. It was strange. It didn't help. But then I got into marriage and literally a month in, I was kind of like, oh, y'all left some stuff out. Literally, I wasn't prepared for that because the dating experience was not this experience. Like there wasn't yelling and threats of divorce and crazy stuff when we were dating. And I don't know what happened when we got into marriage, but I was not prepared for what marriage was. And the problem we have with that is that if we don't have realistic and actual information on what we need to be doing when we get into something, what we'll develop is unrealistic, unhealthy, and unbiblical expectations about what marriage is supposed to be, which will leave us feeling hopeless, bitter, and resentful for the marriage we got stuck in. Our conclusion will be, ah, I got into the wrong marriage. No, you didn't. You came in with the wrong expectations. And so my goal is real simple today. I wanna to give you three truths about marriage that maybe nobody told you because I know they weren't a part of my premarital class. And I wanna give you three, three tips uh, for what you can do in those areas. But before I jump in, here's been part of my problem in the, in the church. Um, a lot of times I feel like we, we give each other part of the story, but not the full story. So last week, Pastor Mark did a phenomenal job of, of laying the groundwork of Genesis 2, right? What God created. And he did a great job of actually walking through what Genesis 2-2 means for us, the covenant relationship, the sacrifice, the selflessness, all the things that are involved. But a lot of times my experience in church has been they bring out Genesis 2-2 like this uh, amazing model of marriage, but don't tell us what it actually looks like. Right, for this reason, a man will, it sounds so great, a man will leave his, mo his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they'll become one flesh. And then he goes on to say, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, sign me up. But then I'm also kind of like, are you sure that's all of it? And traditionally in church, it's like, yeah, you leave, you cleave, you biblically get to know each other. Then you run around naked and unashamed for the rest of the marriage. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm in. Where, where do I sign? But we leave out many of the other passages. And so I'm gonna run through a variety of passages that are in the Bible. Some of these I think you know are there, but we like to skip over them uh, because they don't line up with that cute Genesis account. So let me, let me remind you of some things that are in the Bible. Uh, to, to, to prepare you for what you're really in. Matthew 19, remember when the Pharisees came and they challenged Jesus and were basically trying to trap him. They're like, hey, how come uh, if we're not supposed to divorce, how come Moses let him divorce? And here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied in, in verse eight of chapter 19, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. He's referring to Genesis 2. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And, and normally we just sit in there, but the next verse is most telling to me because then his disciples say to him, <laughs> if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. 
Do you realize what they were saying? Jesus was basically letting them know that, that the, they, they divorced for any and every reason, right? And this goes back to Old Testament where a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce and there was different camps on what it was for. But the, the disciples are basically saying, oh, you mean like if I marry her, I'm supposed to stay with her for like the rest of my life? And if I get tired of her or she not cooking right or I'm just not feeling her this week, I can't divorce her? Jesus like, basically, and they're like, eh, eh, maybe it's better not to marry, right? Listen, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. <laughs> Can I get an amen from the single ladies? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't in my premarital class. Hey, Eric, she looks good. She's cool. You can marry her but it'd be better if you didn't. I would have liked to know that option when I was in, in premarital class, right? Then, then all the Proverbs, we love that. How many of you guys love the Proverbs 31 woman? We, we love that in church. We got all these single guys. I'm just waiting for my Proverbs 31 woman. There's a lot of other Proverbs about women. And so I want to remind you about those that we leave out. So we love to quote this, Proverbs 18, 22, who, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. We're like, yes, Lord. But we leave out Proverbs 21, 9, better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Husbands, can I get an amen? amen? No, you remember, you're not supposed to, it's a test. Let me do the work, you just sit there. We love Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. That's awesome. And we leave out Proverbs 21, 19, better live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Be like, I would rather be dehydrated, sweating, can't talk, can't swallow, than have a quarrelsome wife. Here we go, Proverbs 31, 10. Proverbs 31, woman, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. And we leave out Proverbs 27, 15, and 16. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. <laughs> He's very detailed. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. <laughs> it's like, you can try, bro, but it ain't gonna happen, is basically what he's saying. So again, the problem is, if we only get the one side of the story, we develop expectations about what our marriage should feel like and what it should be doing for us. And we end up with these unrealistic, unhealthy, unbiblical expectations that will of course become unmet expectations, which will lead us to a place of hopelessness. So I'm gonna give you three truths that I hope will help you readjust, reevaluate, maybe rethink what you've believed about marriage and then give you some tips on how we actually can deal with the things in our marriage. So here's truth number one, marriage is a commitment to unresolvable issues. I don't know if it's comical or heartbreaking that the number one cited reason for divorce in courts is irreconcilable differences, because <laughs> that's all of us. When you get married, you sign up for a specific set of unresolvable issues between you and that person that is unique to your marriage. That's just a reality of what it is. Different personalities, different lifestyle preferences. There are some things in your marriage that you will never resolve. Nobody told me that. I spent the first 10 years trying to resolve stuff that will never be resolved. That's frustrating. And that don't make for a very enjoyable marriage. 
There will be things that you just don't resolve. And that's why second marriages have a higher divorce rate than first and third than second, because you think you're getting rid of these irreconcilable differences and you're not gonna find them in the next marriage. (laughs) You usually find different ones because you pick different. So I don't have these issues anymore, but I got a whole new set of issues. It'll be there for every marriage. You can't get rid of it. In fact, uh, relationship expert Dr. John Gottman says that probably two-thirds of issues in marriage are what he calls perpetual problems. They'll never be resolved. Here's what he says about this. All couples have them. They are either fundamental differences in your personalities that repeatedly create conflict or fundamental differences in your lifestyle needs. Instead of solving perpetual problems, what seems to be important is whether or not a couple can establish a dialogue about them. And if they cannot establish such a dialogue, the conflict becomes gridlocked and gridlocked conflict eventually leads to emotional disengagement. So there's actually a QR code in your bulletin, they'll put on the screen at the end, that I have a managing differences worksheet that will help you evaluate and begin to talk about some of those differences that will never be resolved. So if we have them, what do we do about them? Tip number one is you need to learn to close the gaps. In every marriage, there will be these gaps between who they are and who you are. And in the midst of those gaps is where we have the conflict. And too many couples spend energy trying to close the gap all the way together. Like we're gonna find some meat in the middle, 50-50, perfect compromise where we're both happy. And in most of your issues, that'll never happen. You're not gonna find a saver and a spender and they're gonna somehow agree to meet right in the middle. Not gonna find an extrovert and an introvert and they'd be like, well, I wanna go out three times a week. Well, I never wanna go out. I don't like people. Well, how about if we go out 1.5 times a week and we'll both be happy? That doesn't work. You're never gonna change the other person and there will be gaps in your relationship that you can never fully close. And you guys are looking at me like, hey, yeah, Pastor Mark, thanks for bringing this guy in. Yeah. But isn't it better to know, one, you're not alone in this, and two, you can quit wasting all the energy you've been wasting to solve stuff that's unsolvable. And instead, you can figure out ways to step towards each other. Right, so, so you got the introvert and the extrovert and, and the extroverts over here wanting to invite people over to the house all the time. And you liked this when you were dating because it didn't affect you as much. But now that you got married, it's annoying that they want people over all the time. But, but they want to go out and they want to have people over and you don't. And you're just hoping maybe one day they'll shut it down and be like you and they never are. But if at some point you can realize why that's important to them and take a step towards them and maybe every once in a while do something more than what you want to do, the gap is smaller. And if the extrovert can realize that it's really draining to you to have to always be around people and while they really wanna go out with you all the time, they can find times to go out by themselves and fill up and not invite people over every stinking weekend, they take a step towards you. And as you move towards each other, the gaps of your differences will be smaller and conflict within them will decrease. And there's a million ways, if we had four hours, I would just start doing crowd work. Michael will probably do that next week. I would do crowd work and find out what your issue is and we would resolve some practical ways for you to step towards each other and minimize the conflict that exists in those areas. You've gotta learn to close the gaps. Truth number two, (laughs) it's gonna get better at the end, okay? I just feel like I have to say that. Truth number two, marriage is a grieving process. I know, I know. As I was writing it, I was like, this sounds terrible, but they need to know. 
Listen, marriage is a grieving process. Proverbs 13, 12, right? Says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, the hope that the Bible's always talking about is the hope of salvation and Jesus' return based on the finished work of the cross. But in our marriages, many of us are hoping for something from our spouse or in our marriage that is never gonna be realized and it's gonna keep our hearts in a place of sickness. There will be things that you wished were true about your marriage or that you wished your spouse was doing for you that they're never gonna be able to do maybe because of capacity or ability, maybe because they're wired different. And as long as you hold on to false hope that maybe one day this will change, you will remain in a position of heart sickness and be emotionally disengaged, right? Your disorganized spouse is not gonna one day wake up with like a hint of OCD and start organizing. That's false hope. Your extroverted spouse is not gonna stop talking for an extra 20 minutes out in the lobby after church while you're in the car trying to get to lunch. That's false hope. Your frugal, never wanna spend money, gotta save for the future spouse is not gonna get visited by Jesus in the night where he reminds them we're not promised tomorrow and they wake up in the morning and they're like, we're not promised tomorrow, we should take that trip. That's false hope. And false hope will keep us in a place where we can't actually enjoy the things we do have in the marriage. And so we've got to understand that there is a grieving process to marriage. It just, it just, it just is what it is. I love being around people. I want people over all the time. I want to hang out with people over the time. My wife's not wired that way. In fact, fact, I can't believe she said this to me and I'm actually going to share it. Uh, So I've been on church staff for 15 years and I left to start my own marriage ministry on March 1 of 2020 and COVID hit two weeks later. So I went from never being home to always being home. I thought that was gonna be great for my wife and I. She didn't. And so probably about three months in, because you know, I'm all throughout the day, I'm working and then I'll pop my, what you doing in there? You know, popping my head in there. And my wife was used to me being gone and then the kids at school and she's like, finally, some alone time at home. So she told me about three months into the pandemic, she said, you are suffocating. <laughs> I was like, wow. I was like, man, that was, but the reality was I desire stuff that, that she doesn't need or desire. And if I'm gonna wait and hope and believe that one day she's gonna be just like me, I'm gonna be disappointed for the rest of my life. At some point, I have to grieve what is not gonna be present in my relationship and learn tip number two, to manage my disappointments. We're all gonna have them. We are, I don't care who you are or how great your marriage is, because you didn't get to specifically build a spouse with everything you ever wanted, there will be at least some areas where you wish there was more of or less of or more like me. And you tend to see what you focus on. And so if you stay focused on the things that are not present, you're gonna stay in a position where you're not happy in the relationship. And instead we can practice daily gratitude. And there's things I'm grateful for. And some of you are like, there is zero I'm grateful for in my marriage right now. And that may be true, but I promise you there's some other stuff in your life you're grateful for. Maybe your health, your job, your kids, your family, friendships. We gotta focus on what we're grateful for, which allows us to enjoy the great moments of the marriage while we grieve the losses that are just never gonna change. 
And when I say grieve the losses, I'm not talking about toxic, abusive behavior, just so you know. I'm not like, oh yeah, I just gotta grieve the fact that you know, they drink all the time and are abusive. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, get help. I'm saying the little things that I would like more of that would make the relationship more enjoyable for me, but are probably never gonna happen because my spouse isn't wired the way I am. And we can work on our own stuff. If you focus on yourself instead of your spouse, you know how much energy we spend focused on the one person we can't control in the marriage? I'd be like, that's a wasted energy. If I focus on dealing with my own stuff, I'm less concerned about what she is or is not doing in the relationship. And then you got to prioritize yourself, right? Too many people are unhappy in marriage. And so they, they stop prioritizing everything else in their life. And when I say prioritize, I'm not talking about don't be selfish and ignore the marriage. I'm talking about I've got to do the things that I know fill me up emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. Because if I'm in a great place, guess what? I'm a lot better at managing disappointment in my marriage than when I'm at a deficit and I'm looking at my wife wondering why she ain't filling some stuff up. So we've got to manage those disappointments. It's a grieving process. All right, number three, I'm going to try. It's going to, it's going to come up at the end, okay? At, at the very end, it's going to get better. Truth number three, <laughs> truth number three, marriage is a front row seat to your spouse's sanctification process. See, nobody told me this in my premarital class, that part of what I would experience over the lifetime of my marriage is not only my own sanctification. If I'm a Christian, God has promised not to leave you where you are. That's good news. He wants to mold us all into the likeness of his son, Jesus, the fruit of the spirit to become more evident in our lives. Those are all good things. But nobody really told me that not only will that be happening in my life, but I get a front row seat to my spouse and their sanctification process. And so maybe some of you are familiar with Gary Chapman's book, Sacred Marriage, where in it he says, marriage was not made to make you happy, but holy. Anybody heard that saying before? Yeah, we like that in church too. Like, oh yes, make us holy, mold us, God. <laughs> um, do you, do you know what the ramifications of that really mean? Because we're focused on us, that, that marriage is to make us holy. Okay, so it's gonna challenge me in some areas. It's gonna grow me in some areas and stuff. But it also means that we got a front row seat to what's going on in our spouse's life. Now there's a good side to that, that hopefully who you marry on day one and who you have in year five, 10, 20, 30, is becoming an even better and better person because God is continuing to do a work in them. So hopefully what you married is not even as great as what you get later in marriage. Now singles don't, I, I know how singles work. Do not date for potential, okay? Don't marry potential. I'm not saying that like, oh, well, they suck right now, but if God keeps doing the work, they'll be great. <laughs> so a little bit for singles here. What we think singles is that if we can, if the good keeps getting better and we can work on the bad, this will be a great marriage relationship. The reality, I can tell you from over a decade of counseling married couples is the good always doesn't last and the bad usually gets worse, okay? So don't date for potential, I'm not saying that. But one of the benefits of marriage is hopefully if we are allowing God to mold us, we are getting a better and better spouse throughout the marriage. The flip side of that coin is that you will experience pain and consequences due to your spouse's sanctification process. When God puts his finger on some things in their life that was never dealt with, you will experience some of the pain and consequences of that. 
right? The, the greed issue they had when they came into marriage that they never dealt with now results in risky financial decisions or a gambling issue or your car getting repoed. And now you're like, dang, I'm getting the consequences of what they didn't deal with. Or maybe the lust issue they never dealt with now looks like pornography in your marriage. Or maybe the, the outside need for affirmation and admiration and attention from other people to just feel good about themselves now manifests itself as an affair in the marriage. The, there will be things that happen in your spouse's life as God is molding and changing them that now neg negatively impact your life. <laughs> you, know, you guys are so somber. I'm not saying that as a downer. I'm saying that as it should be normal. Expect it. I don't say you've got to like it, but don't be surprised by it. That is actually a part of a Christian marriage that that will happen. So what do we do about that? Tip number three, we need to carry their burden, but own our load. And this is probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Paul is not specifically writing this to marriages, but I think it's probably one of the best marriage reality passages of all time. Galatians 6, two through five. Paul says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. So listen, when you're carrying your spouse's burden, don't be looking down your nose at them like, I can't believe I'm try having to help you do this. You would never have to help me do that. Yeah, you got your own stuff. He says, each one should test their own actions. Worry about yourself. You got enough stuff, right? Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So what I need to do is take pride in the fact that I'm willing to address the stuff God reveals in me and submit it to his lordship without now comparing my spouse and going, well, I did it, are you gonna do it? And then verse five says, for each one should carry their own load. Here, here's what this means for, for marriage. When it comes to marriage, I have both a relational responsibility to the marriage and a personal responsibility to the marriage. My relational responsibility to the marriage is to try to love my wife, serve my wife, understand what makes her feel cared for, understand the things that make her feel like she's not a priority. So whether you're talking love languages, emotional needs, part of my relational responsibility is I've made a commitment to care about this other person and try to love them in the best way that I can. And sometimes that means I have to help carry their burdens. When I notice there's moments where God may be putting his finger on something in her life that is causing pain, where she's struggling, that's not the moment to condemn and judge, that's the moment to come in and help carry those burdens. But I also have a personal responsibility to my marriage to deal with my own stuff so that my spouse doesn't have to carry my stuff. And a lot of times we are unwilling to heal and grow and do the stuff as a single before we get into marriage that is our stuff to deal with and we bring it into our marriage. So singles, own your own loads now. So when you get into marriage, there are not personal things that are affecting your ability to relate in a healthy way in a marriage. But I, I've got to carry my own stuff. I, I can't put that on my spouse. I've got to own my own stuff so I don't burden the marriage even more with the stuff that's mine to deal with. 
And sometimes there are moments in marriage, especially when I counsel couples where there's a lot of relational stuff, but there's so much personal stuff that, that I'm almost like, we got to just call a truce on a marriage for the next six months. Nobody's leaving, but we're probably not solving much because we got some individual work to do first. Like you can't ask somebody with a broken leg to run a marathon. You got to heal the leg first and then I can invest relationally. And so with the sanctification process, we gotta be willing to carry each other's burdens at times, but we have to be willing to own our own stuff so it's not negatively impacting the relationship. So I'm guessing they didn't tell you that in premarital class either. By the yeah, I wasn't getting a whole lot of head nods on that one. <laughs> so let me leave you with some encouragement. Okay, some of you guys, the singles are like, I'm never getting married. <laughs> hey, listen, Paul said it's better not to, so. He might've been onto something, I'm just saying. Or we can have realistic expectations about what the marriage is about and what our responsibility is and what we should and shouldn't expect from our spouse. And so, so here's what I believe. I believe every one of us, no matter where your marriage is, have the ability to adjust a few small, simple things and begin building the kind of marriage that we actually enjoy and that brings glory to Christ. I believe, I, I don't care where your marriage is today. You may be about ready to give up. You may be doing great, but I believe every one of us, if, if we'll just take some simple steps in these three areas and we learn some tools on how to close the gap in some of those areas of incessant cycles of conflict that's been frustrating us. We've been putting so much energy in, but instead of trying to come up with a resolution, we just close the gap a little and value who the other person is and trust God in the midst of the gap. I think our marriage will get better. If we can learn to grieve some of the things that we've been holding on to false hope that has been keeping our heart in a position of sickness and we can say, you know what? I, I, I wish my spouse was more affectionate, but that's not how they're wired. And so they've made some effort in that area and I wanna honor and celebrate that effort, but I also need to grieve the gap of what I wish there was more of and celebrate what I actually do have. I believe that if we are willing to own our stuff, to do the hard work sometimes, there's stuff in us. We all got wounds. We all come into marriage with past baggage. And if I'm willing to work on my own stuff so my spouse doesn't have to carry it, but at the same time, I'm willing to step into their mess and help carry their burdens, I believe that every one of us can create a marriage that we actually enjoy. And guess what? That we're excited to come home to. Some of you drive the long way home after work. And I believe we can kind of create the marriages where we want to get home early from work if we can focus on these three areas. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we know that you created marriage, so we also know that you have given us every tool and every truth we'll ever need to make covenant marriage work. And God, so I pray for every marriage in the room. Um, God, I pray that the ones that need encouragement and hope that you would give that to them, the ones that need healing and forgiveness, God, I pray that you would step in and provide healing and soften hearts and prompt forgiveness so that they can reconcile in some of these areas. God, for every single in the room, I pray that you would help them adjust their perspective and expectation of what marriage is, that they would find their significance, purpose, identity, security in you so they're not looking for that in a marriage and they can enjoy marriage for what it was meant to be. 
God, help every one of us get better in these areas. God, help us close gaps, help us grieve losses, and God, help us focus on the things we're grateful for in the marriage. So ask this in Jesus' name, amen.